We're going to talk to Bill and Jonathan and David and Kathy, and Bill's up first. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Hey, I, I, I know you've probably answered this a thousand times, but I have yet to hear it. So, <laughs> Blossom Enrod on tomato. Yes, sir. Uh, is, is, does, is, is, there, is there a better variety that's resistant to that? No, or? sir. It's not the tomato. It's your soil. Um, okay. Blossom Enrod is not a disease. Uh, some varieties of tomatoes may be slightly more susceptible to it, but it is so easy to prevent you go to the grocery store, you go to the drugstore, you get Epsom salts. Um, doesn't have to be the smelly, you know, strong scented ones, just basic cheapo Epsom salts. When you plant your tomatoes, you don't put it in the hole because it's not something the tomato plant's going to take up. But what you're doing is rebalancing the calcium and magnesium in the soil. Just a couple of handfuls sprinkled around on the surface of the ground, water it in, or, you know, next time your plants need water water it in, and no more blossom end rot. That's one of the easiest things out there that we can correct and prevent. Does it hurt to to put it in the hole? I'd I, I heard that, and I did that this time, but I actually mixed up a solution in a gallon jug and, no. and put a little in the hole when no. I dropped the tomato. But it didn't solve the problem. You need to get more and put out on the surface of the ground. But, no, I mean, people do that with roses. Uh, um, the Epsom salts are just magnesium sulfate, and uh, as long as you're not overdoing it, there are absolutely no negatives to it. It's just, I guess, if you get too carried away, it hurts in the pocketbook, but uh, there's not much. I don't know of anything that costs so little and does, you know, such a good thing as far as preventing problems. So uh, um, I, you just you didn't do a lot of good putting it in the hole, but you can go back and follow up with no uh, no ill effects. Sprinkle them on the surface. Sprinkle it on the surface. Go out, you know, 18, 24 inches all the way around. As far as you think the roots of that tomato plant are extending, that's where you need to have your Epsom salsa work. Bob, thank you so much. Great show. Love listening. I appreciate it. And that's only a 1,001 times that we've done it, and I'm sure we'll do it again (laughs) soon. So I appreciate you bringing it up, Bill. Thank you, sir. Uh Jonathan's next. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Uh, morning, sir. I've got several spots in my yard that I've had to replant with carpet grass, seems like, every year. And it's just, it's, the more I water it and the fertilizer it, it just dies. Is it in shade or in sun? Uh, about half and half throughout the day. Okay. And does the grass just turn brown and go away? Does it tend to yellow out on you? Does it just gradually over time get thinner and thinner? Is it a sudden death or a prolonged death? It's uh, prolonged, but it just turns back to dirt. It just looks like it rots. Okay. And what part of town do you live in? Or what area? Pleasanton. Pleasanton. You know, in the hill country or in a lot of San Antonio, I find that sometimes there is either caliche or rock closer to the surface in some areas which is more uh a part of the problem that shouldn't be an issue in pleasanton do you do you have a sprinkler system or how do you water your yard uh, with a with a well uh, but i mean uh, how does the water get distributed sprinkler or with a one yes, on the end yes, of the hose yes. no sprinkler yes okay i would tell you to um 
get some little straight-sided dishes, containers. Uh, Saws used to give away a little, like a little mini rain gauge. And spread those things throughout your yard. Run your sprinkler system through its cycle. I would be guessing that it could easily be that there are just some areas that are not getting the coverage that are getting a quarter of an inch of water when the areas around them are getting an inch of water. That's a very common reason that I see grass dying out in the same area year after year. It's just that uh, uh, some parts of the yard just not getting the water they need. And, of course, St. Augustine is a grass that has to have water. It uh, doesn't take any more water than Bermuda's oyster does to keep it good looking. But uh, when I've got one same area dying out year after year, if it's not deep shade, if it's not something underneath the surface of the ground, it's almost always a water issue. Okay. Thank you very much. And I find even the so-called professional sprinkler companies, uh, there's only one company, and I don't mind mentioning it's S.A. Rainmaker, but all these other big companies, every time I've seen them put a sprinkler system in, uh, they've had to come back out and adjust it because some areas of the yard were getting more water than others, and that always leads to problems. So check that out and let me know what you find. If that's not it, we'll go looking a little further and see how else I can help you. Okay, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. David's next, and it'll be Kathy and Linda. Good morning, David. Morning, Bob. Morning. Um, I, I'm, I know the Mexicana Grande avocado and the Joey grows around here. I'm in Quero. Yeah. Does the house avocado make it there? I'll hang up and listen, sir. Uh, it's, it's all a matter of cold. And in Quero, you can get some pretty severe cold. The the two you mentioned are just more cold-hardy once they get the rough bark. Haas Avocado has no cold-hardiness whatsoever. It'll grow fine, but if you get a hard freeze, you're going to lose it. That's that's the limiting factor. So I'd have to cover it up or just look for another... Look for a joy or something uh, you'd have to build a greenhouse. You'd have to cover it up. You'd have to, you know, put a heater out there. You'd have to be like those peach <laughs> growers, fire, huh? <laughs> yeah, burning bales hay last week. But okay. hosses, uh, great avocado is just not cold hardy. All right, thank you, Bob. Have a good day. You too, thank you. All right, moving through a lot of calls quickly. Keep dialing two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. While I say good morning to Kathy, how are you today? Hi, Bob. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Um, Okay, I know you've answered this one a million times, too. but (laughs) Million and one coming up. Well, five years ago, I had tomatoes. Uh And uh, I had the big tomato green, big tomato worms so bad that I got so disgusted pulling those things off that I just gave up on tomatoes. Well, I know that's a shame, but uh, I couldn't find anything except my fingers to get rid of things and it grossed me out it really did (laughs) well let me tell you what you need to do uh, to solve that problem kathy um you need to get the what they call bt worm killer just anything that has bacillus thuringiensis in it but in addition to that you need to add a little bit of molasses because molasses really stimulates that bacteria that kills the caterpillars and I frequently, you know, if I'm, and I, I get those same, uh, they're tomato hornworms is what they are. But I know, if, I look them up and they're nasty. Yeah, but if, yeah, they make an interesting moth, but uh, they, they devour tomatoes and peppers too, for that matter. But adding the molasses to the BT keeps it active a lot longer. Normally, I only have to spray about twice a year. 
to be totally wiping those things out. So look for a liquid product that has, we call it BT because nobody wants to say Bacillus thuringiensis, but any good nourishment is going to know what BT is. Get a liquid and add liquid molasses at the rate of about a tablespoon per gallon of spray, and you will not have an issue with those hornworms. Okay. Uh, One more quick question, if I may. Certainly. Uh, This is crazy but i've heard it and last time i did have the tomatoes actually my landlord planted them and he had a whiskey barrel and he planted two plants in there and i kind of was thinking the whole time maybe that's too much in one pot and something the size of a whiskey barrel no i plant i use the bigger tomato cages the ones that are 18 inches in diameter and i virtually always put two plants to a cage doesn't hurt to crowd them a little bit something as big as a whiskey barrel I would have no problem with putting two plants per cage. Now, um, I, you know, it's the, the eggs don't occur spontaneously, obviously. That moth flies in and lays the egg, and maybe and these, that's just these, the most. Yeah, these were real big when they hit. My yeah. plants were huge when yeah. they hit. Yeah, they just, they somehow were just a convenient target. But that one moth flew in, probably laid eggs on all the plants out in that area. But uh, that's the nice thing about that BT. Once you get it on the foliage, it stays there. And when that caterpillar hatches, takes one bite out of the leaf that's coated with BT, it's been poisoned. It turns a weird color, and over about a 36-hour period, just shrivels and dies. So you get yourself some BT and some molasses, and you won't be worried with tomato worms anymore. Okay, one thing that I didn't get to. Um, now, when you plant these... Out of, a, out of a small pot, I'm uh-huh. sure, you know, they come out. Uh, anyway, is it true that you're supposed to plant the the root slanting to the bottom? No. No, that doesn't make any difference. The thing about tomatoes is that they, unlike many plants, many plants will suffer if they are planted too deeply in the ground. That's everything from oak trees to, you know, crepe myrtles. But right. a a tomato plant will grow roots all the way up and down the stem. It loves being buried too deeply. And sometimes the only tomato plants you can find, or at least the variety you want, are overgrown. They're long stems. And when you're doing that, you can, if you can't dig a hole that deep, what you do is make a little trench, lay that tomato plant in it sideways. But uh, these are, uh, I've got several places. I've got two. Uh-huh. And I've got a big area in my backyard flower bed that nothing grows there. And it's up against uh, where the fence comes to a corner. And I was going to try one there just to if see. It's, if it's full sun, that will be it good. Is, it, is, it is full sun most okay. of, almost all day. Yeah. Well, don't worry about the angle of the plant. You s- <laughs> slant it or not, you prepare no. the soil, you put some rock phosphate in the bottom of the hole, and uh, you should have tomatoes. Okay. Um, golly, I think that's all. If not, I'll call you back next week. We'll look forward to hearing from you, Kathy. Have a great Sunday and a good week. All right, it's going to be Linda and Debbie and Leslie and Elaine. And Linda, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. I uh, started a avocado tree from seed. Okay. And it started growing pretty good, and so I put it in a pot. Mm-hmm. And uh, no problems. And then I put it in the ground. And it got to about two feet tall, and then we had that 23-degree night. Right. The leaves started falling off. The trunk was getting real brittle, and so I would break it off. But now it's 
it's still pliable. So I don't know whether it's going to come back or I don't I don't know. Well, do I <laughs> it's uh, uh, what did the guy say? I cannot tell a lie. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Uh, it may or it may not come back. It's um, and there's not really a lot that you can do. I mean, if you want to give it a little fertilizer, if you want to give it a little uh, Garrett juice, Super Thrive, something like that. But in this case, it's not what happened to the root. It's what's happened to the top of the plant, and that was that it simply froze. The avocados that we get in the grocery store are not cold-hardy, and I know we all have to sprout them in the jar with the toothpicks and everything, Mm but um, Mm -hmm. if it is going to come out, it will do so in the next four to six weeks. If it has not sprouted by Easter, it's not going to. And the choice is yours. I mean, you learned your lesson. You're going to have to protect that thing from now until the time that is 15 feet tall and you're probably going to wait about six years for it to mature to the point that it can produce avocados so if it's got sentimental value it's worth it if you're hoping for avocados you would do much better to go out and buy one of the mexican so-called mexican avocado varieties the ones that once they get some bark on them they're much more cold hardy there's joy there's mexicola there are a lot of different varieties out there but unfortunately the ones that we grow from seeds from the grocery store you're going to be protecting them every winter yeah and i thought i left that 23 degree temperature when i left kansas i hate to tell you i've seen five degrees in san antonio the year we opened our nursery 38 years ago uh it went to five degrees in san antonio went to zero where i live up in the hill country so we Mm. don't have it often but it only takes once to mess up some of your plants so sorry about that you can grow another one but if you really want to grow avocados we do have some that first year you have to protect them but after that they're cold hardy down into the teens so if you want to grow your own you can but it's not going to be one of the one of the grocery store varieties Okay, well, I'm retired, and I've got nothing but time, so I'll wait. <laughs> well, I wait tell you, Easter. yeah, there, there are a lot of other things that are easier to grow, but if you want an avocado tree, um, head over to Fanix. We keep them sometimes at Shades of Green. I think Fanix almost always has them in stock. And remember, the first winter you may have to protect them, but after that it's only going to be one year out of eight or ten that you need to do anything at all for them. They produce a little smaller avocado. There's one that's real funny looking. It's like one end of the uh avocado the skin is actually almost black and the other end is yellow but inside it's just that same delicious uh you know (laughs) i I love avocados as you can probably tell but um yeah it's uh, they're ones you can grow but unfortunately the calavos the haas the ones we get at the grocery store those are just never going to be cold hardy here okay all right thanks for your time my pleasure thanks for the call debbie's turn now good morning debbie Hi, good morning, Bob. Thank you so much for taking my call. Thank you so much for calling. (laughs) How can I help? Um, So um, there's trees that are in my yard and my neighbor's yard seem to be deposited by birds near fence lines. Of course. They have a smooth, light bark, and they have these lovely lavender inverted flowers with a great fragrance. Yeah, it is. And I I don't, go ahead probably is uh what we call a chinaberry tree melia m-e-l-i-a is its botanical name as they grow they'll have a rougher bark that is brown but uh the flowers occur in pretty much in clusters don't they 
Yes, but I mean, it has smooth bark, and I these are, you know, like 30 and 40 feet tall. I mean, because I thought the chinaberry tree, those aren't the ones that have the, the green berries. Well, they eventually they become uh, oh, sort of an amber color. If you're if you're driving okay. down Highway 281 and you look over mm-hmm. on either side in the Almost Basin, the trees you see okay. coming into bloom right now, uh, that's just the okay. only big tree that I know of that's going to have a lavender flower. Uh, okay. But yeah, okay. they do have smooth bark, and um, they're you know there's no such thing as a bad tree. There's no such thing as a good tree. Every tree out there yeah. has good characteristics and oh, bad yeah. characteristics. This, uh, mm-hmm. The only bad thing about these are is that since they were deposited by birds, mm-hmm. they're up next to our fences, and right. so now they're pushing them over. <laughs> so do I get a fence stretcher and you know have them stre- you know and uh, come along to be able to pull it up next to the main tree so it gets off the fence or we build the fence around it uh you build the fence around it or you okay. build okay. a different type of fence uh that's okay uh, they're not typically real long lived trees uh in my okay. growing up years they were the source of great uh, amusement for me because uh, down the street from my grandfather's house there was a big old china berry the berries ferment and uh, the robins would come in. They would sit up there in the tree, the fermented berries, get drunk, and fall out of the trees. And uh, the neighbors down there had a big old kitty cat, and that was the uh-huh. smartest cat. He never chased birds. He just uh, sat underneath the tree and waited for lunch to come tumbling down out of the tree. And I never got tired of laughing at that. So, oh so <laughs> anyway, you, you've got a china berry tree. Some people okay. would tell you it's a trash tree, but it's got yeah. some good characteristics. And it's funny okay. you bring that up today because our uh, arborist david vaughn yesterday he brought in a a a piece of china berry wood had been cut in mm-hmm. half and he was showing how it is one of the most beautiful woods in the world it can actually be used for making furniture and things like that mm-hmm. and uh, they they do have their negative qualities but there's you know <laughs> it's like some people okay. we know they got a lot of bad in them but they've got a little bit of good right. underneath as oh, well so the, the flowers i have never smelled this oh yeah flower yeah they're just incredible so my other quick question was three years ago we had the hailstorm uh-huh. and for some reason i made the decision to when i replaced my roof to not put my gutters on i don't know why i didn't replace them but now i have a 10 by 10 uh brick lined um you know, garden thing in the mm-hmm. front of the house that's attached. And so now it gets a little flooded when it rains because okay. there's no. And so what can I plant in there that won't be harmed by, you know, getting occasional flooded? It eventually drains, but, sure. you know, it does that. So what can I plant in there that wouldn't? Well, let's like let's take a little different direction, Debbie. I'm not going to tell you okay. to put gutters back on your home, but mm-hmm. um, there is something they call a it's like a drip edge. Um, okay. If you're over over around our nursery, look over the yeah. the entrance, both the front and the back entrance. I've seen those. Okay, it's I've just seen it's those. like an L shape. And mm-hmm. all it's doing is moving the water off to the either side. Uh, on the side of the building, it moves about 15 mm-hmm. feet, so it's not falling directly on a flower bed. And I can mm-hmm. tell you a few things that are more tolerant, but don't let that, that moisture deter you from planting what you would like. I mean, you're looking, okay. of course, if you're paying somebody else to do it, you're, you're going to pay no. for labor. No. But if you're, if no. you're going to, uh, 
you know, a, and I'll go to a good hardware store, probably not a not a big box store, but you're looking at you know ten to fifteen dollars worth of material to totally solve your problem. And yeah. um, you know, a, anybody that's at all handy, a handy handy lady or a handy man, so to speak. Thank you. <laughs> that is, uh, no, I was jokingly telling a lady friend the other day about a a sign that I I saw somewhere in big letters. It says a woman must do a job twice as well as a man to be thought half as good. Smaller letters mm-hmm. underneath it says, "Fortunately, this is not difficult." <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway oh, good one. yeah if if you're you, if you're, i'm gonna bring my gutters back because one thing i really miss and didn't think about it at the time because i wasn't going to be living in the house after i did this sure um i miss the rainwater catching oh yeah yeah well i will tell I, I you really, I, because my plants really miss it i i had new gutters put on my home last week i don't yeah. mind telling you it was williamson gutters uh, okay, Williamson Roofing. Uh, I still think Southwest Metal Roofing Systems does the best roofs in the business, but they don't do mm-hmm. gutters. But Williamson okay. out of Bernie did a phenomenal job for me at a reasonable Beautiful. price. So if you're looking Beautiful. for a company to do it, uh, give them a call. Yes. Great. Thank you so much, Bob. My As pleasure, always. Debbie. All right. <laughs> Thanks Bye. for the call. Goodbye. And let's Leslie's first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you this morning? I'm great, thank you. How about you? Doing well, thank you. I've got a question about irises. Okay. Um, I've got okay. a I've got a variety of iris that have been blooming. Um, gee whiz, since probably the middle of February, um, if not earlier. And so, um, when is when is the time that we dig and divide them? Okay, let's try to figure out what kind of iris it is. Does it have very flat leaves that are fairly broad, an inch to inch and a half, uh, inch and a half wide, but uh, thin. Yeah, and then, it, does that just sound they're like what bearded, you? Though. I'm sorry. They're bearded. They're bearded iris. Bearded iris. Okay. Then they fall into the category that if you want the very best time to divide, we always do it opposite the blooming season. And since they're spring blooming, the best time to dig and divide is in the fall. Having said that, they are tough, hardy plants. It would be, I don't think you could kill beard iris if you tried, unless you bury them too deeply. So if you need to dig and divide now, you can do it. You're just going to set the plants back a little bit. Uh, If it doesn't make any difference to you when you do it, then September, October, those are going to be the best two months of the year to start new plants or to dig and divide what you already have. Okay, because, yeah, I had kind of a um, embarrassment of riches this year, so, you know, I just kind of wanted to kind of set them around the, the rest of the garden and, and maybe give some away. So I well, I, and that is a fine thing to do. Again, if I had to tell you the very best time of year, it would be the fall months. And that this is going to go for most bulbs. The time to dig and divide is just opposite time uh, of the time it blooms. If they're fall blooming, like some of the crinums and schoolhouse lilies and things like that, then the spring is when you want to dig and divide. If they're spring blooming, the fall is when you want to dig and divide. But a plant that is as tough as bearded iris um i you can do it almost any time you want and i'm sure you know this since you've grown them for years but for our other listeners be sure that you do not bury that rhizome it wants to be half out of the ground and half into the ground and they want full sun um, and the one thing I'll tell you, if you've got beautiful ones that you want to have more and you want to, you know, share with friends, that's great. But if you're 
buying anything new. There are there's got to be quite a number now of what they call rebloomers. Uh, my business partner has planted a number of those, and some of hers bloom four or five times a year, and uh, they're just as pretty in wow. the middle of the hot summer. And, uh, gosh, I've got a picture somewhere on my phone of one of the yellow ones. It must have 30, 40 open flowers, you know, about three years after the rhizomes were initially planted. So there have been some great strides made in, uh, you know, in the uh, German iris, flag iris, bearded iris, whatever you want to call them. Um, and sometimes if you're looking for something different, uh, it's fun to have something that blooms four times a year instead of just once in the spring. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Bob. We appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you and appreciate the call. You let me know anytime I can help, Leslie. Will do. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Elaine is up next. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning. Morning. Um, my lantanas took a hit for some reason this year. I have lost <laughs> three or four of them. Okay. Uh, and these are the, and, uh, the, the summer bloomers, the kind of bushy yeah. ones, not the trailing ones. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and and one of them was under my bird feeder, and I have a big black cat who'd like to hide out there and get a meal every once in a while out of a bird. Okay. So I'm wanting to replace that one with something that has lots of color because it's one I look at constantly, mm-hmm. and but might have enough density that he couldn't camp out under it to go bird hunting as easily. Okay. Well, a couple of things. First of all, um the lantanas seem to be hit extra hard by that early freeze we had last fall, but okay. um, don't give up on them. I've, a lot of my lantanas have not even begun to sprout up yet, but they're uh, they're not dead. I've dug down and scratched around, and a lot of those plants are still going to come out. So, uh, not to oh, okay. t- totally despair, but um, how much sun is in this area under your bird feeder? Almost uh, all day. There's some afternoon shade from a tree, but okay, it's very sparse. Um, things that you could consider. Have you ever heard of bulbine? B-U-L-B-I-N-E. No. Blooms. Uh, it's it's a succulent plant. Uh, spikes of uh, orange and yellow flowers. Uh, I mean, they're not huge flowers, but uh, they have nice color, and they would certainly stay low. Um, there is a plant called skullcap. Uh, the pink yeah. variety and the Maybe white varieties that. are the ones that will do well in a sunny area. And those would be a choice. Uh, you like lantana. There are some dwarfer varieties that don't ever get big enough for, uh, Mr. Kitty to hang out in. Uh, one of my favorites is one that's called multi, M-U-L-T-I, multi-dwarf. And it is one of these ones that has flowers that will be three colors on the same plant, yellow to deep purple. But it rarely gets over 12 inches tall, and and it stays just as a low mound. It's not one of the big growing varieties, but it just blooms all summer long. Uh, There is a different, very low-growing one that only it's kind of a red and yellow one that only gets 10 inches tall. I don't know that I even know the name on that one. But there are some dwarfer varieties of the summer bloom lantanas uh, that could be absolutely beautiful out there now i would worry a little bit about uh your kitty cat lying in and breaking up um the you know an, a, a more tender plant but there are going to be some new varieties out this year of periwinkles vinca whatever you prefer to call them it's called the tattoo series 
and they are the most colorful I've ever seen. We saw them at a, a nursery trade show up in Oregon uh, this past August, and they have blooms that will have the most pure white, striking white center, and then the background petals uh, vary from kind of a cerise color to a deep orchid lavender um, and, and there are some, I mean, if you want to create a huge amount of color, these are things that you will replace because they are annual bedding plants, but right. you can, you can turn heads in that area with uh, some of your new Vinca varieties out there. And uh, again, okay. they're going to be small enough. The, the kitty cat can probably hang out there. Do y'all have those or will you be having those? We again? definitely will. <laughs> we definitely will. I, I put a lot of the growers on notice when I when we got back from that uh, Far West trade show last year that you got to grow these things this spring, and they're promising me they will. Okay, great. Well, this kitty only weighs about 30 pounds. So yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if he can get five foot off the, fl- <laughs> off the ground, but he can. <laughs> It's, it's really beautiful to see, other than the fact the poor bird suffers from it. Yeah, they think an old fat guy like that couldn't move very quickly, and that's their last mistake. So uh, yeah, remember, if possible, you can always raise the bird feeder a little higher, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge, and uh, it's, it's humorous to everybody except the birds. But uh, yeah. um, I, these are things that I think would stay low enough that uh, he couldn't hide out there. And he's what my mother would okay. have called a very solid citizen. We have one of those over at Shades of Green. That's, uh, he's about 20 pounds, so he's not quite as big. But you think he's slow and sluggish until he really wants to go after something, and uh, then it's amazing how fast you can. Kind of like an alligator. Uh, they yeah. don't maintain a high speed for a long time, but on a short distance, they'll scare the heck out of you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Elaine, you enjoy, and thank you for the call this morning. Okay. Okay, Bye. now we're to the top of the board, and that would be Shannon. Good morning, Shannon. Yes, sir. Uh, I got a curious question. Okay. During, you know, starting Labor Day last year, we had some really bad floods over on, on the ranch. I take care of off of 211. Yes, sir. Uh, Everything in those creeks came down, filled the pond, and we've got it overlapping everywhere else. We're eventually going to drain the pond, but it's like walking on a sponge. Can we? And it's the prettiest black mix. Can we use that for mulch? Uh, absolutely. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but uh, if I think you will find that if you, you know, when you drag it out, when you get it up away from the water it's going to decrease in volume by about 90%. But um, it's, you know, the, the water's full of all kinds of nutrients and the different plants uh, absorb and use those things. It's kind of like uh, seaweed is one of the best sources of nutrients in the world. So uh, I think this probably make a fine mulch. I don't see any negatives whatsoever to it. Well, we've got some setting outside. It's been dry is when I talk about where it's mm-hmm. walking on a sponge, but none of the weeds, I was worried, my wife was worried that a bunch of weeds would come up, but nothing has come up through it other than ryegrass. Uh-huh. I'm, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't see, I don't know of any problem that would be there. Now, with it, like anything, if you use your soil to create a really good, area there you may have a jillion weed seeds blow in from other areas it's i don't think there's anything that uh you know is uh anything in that material that is going to be preventing the weeds but i certainly don't think it's going to bring any weeds in with it understand uh, that's what i'll tell her 
because it's I figure it's got cedar in it, it's got oak in it, it's got mountain laurel, basically everything we got on the ranch in Kansas. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, don't work it into the ground. You already know that, but it's it's undecomposed material at this point. So if you blended it into the soil, you'd be stealing a lot of nutrients out of the soil. But on the surface, as a mulch, I sounds like what's down along the Guadalupe on my business partner's property, and I think it'll make an excellent mulch for you. You will find that the fire ants like it. You may find uh, you know everything from centipedes to scorpions to everything else once the weather gets warm when you start trying to move it around but uh that's one of those things that everybody lives on a ranch knows how to deal with yes sir i'll I'll tell her and i sure appreciate it i appreciate the call shannon you have a great sunday thank you sir thanks bye-bye all right well dr kirby's over there in the producer's room you know we'll be coming up on the pet show here about eight minutes from now but we've got a little more time for gardening so let's talk to laurie and kim and laurie is up first good morning Hi, Bob. Hi uh, there. I have a question about my Esperanza. Okay. Um, they're not bushes. They're more like stalks, mm-hmm. and each little group of them is a, maybe a, um, uh, stalks of about 10 in each little planting group. Okay. They're about, I'd say they're about 8 feet tall. All right. And I suppose, I, I didn't cover them, so I suppose maybe the freeze got to them. I live in Austin. Mm-hmm. And some of the leaves on some of the stalks are, you know, brown and crinkly. Um, do I need to just cut those stalks off? Well, you can if you want to, Laurie. Here's the thing. We don't know how far back they're frozen. We don't know yeah. how, you know, where they will come out. So unless they are just super ugly or unless, uh, let's say, another family member is applying pressure uh, to make it look nicer – I would wait until they start to come out because, you know, maybe they're frozen down to two feet high. You'll see the new little uh-huh. green, you know, growth start coming out of there. When they start to come out, you can safely assume that everything above that point is frozen. And, okay. you know, they may be frozen to the ground. They may be frozen down, um, you know, six feet off the ground. Uh, let's say they do start coming out up fairly high, stay six feet high or something or other. And you say, well, gosh, I don't want them that tall. At that point, sure, whack them down to two feet, whack them down to three feet, whatever point you like. But at this point, even scratching the bark is really hard to tell exactly where they're going to come out. So, I've got plenty of other yard projects. I'm going to leave them until they start showing a little green, and then I'm going to cut off everything above that point. Okay. And if at some point I want them to become bushy, what do, how do I accomplish that? You just to cut those stems uh, at whatever point you would like them to branch and fill out. And as long as okay. you have good sun on them, they will branch. Now, if they're in less than adequate light, they're just going to keep growing back up, you know, tall and skinny. Yeah, they're, they're full sun. Okay. In that case, uh, once they start to put on growth, you just cut them to the point you want them to branch. There are little buds. Some of them we would call adventitious buds you can't even see yet. Others are little axillary buds where the leaves were. Uh, and they will sprout out and should produce several new branches from each original stalk. So uh, wait and see how far back they're frozen. Cut them off yeah. at that point and uh, just fertilize, mulch, do all the things you normally would, and you should have okay. nice bushes very shortly. Okay. 
Okay, thanks so much for all your help. You have a great week. week. (laughs) You do the same, Laurie. I was good to hear from you. Thank you. Certainly. All right, bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, let's finish up the calls today with Kim. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. How about you this morning? I'm great. I have a question because we are on the way to the nursery right now, and we had just cleared a bunch of ugly brush and straggly little trees on our property, and now we can see the house next door. Okay. So we're looking for something that's drought-tolerant, evergreen, doesn't need much care, uh, won't kill our dogs. Uh, grow right. 10 feet tall the first year, have no insects and diseases, flower at least 10 months out of the year. That, that's what you're looking for? Correct. Okay. Um, where? What area do you live in? We live in the Marion area, okay. which is, yeah, just so north east. do you have deer yeah. issues? We do have deer. Okay. That's going to be a bit of a limiting factor, but... Um, and uh, you say this area is going to be full sun? It'll be full sun, yes. Okay. If you're looking for the deer-resistant, drought-tolerant plants, realizing you'll have to water it first to get them started, um, a couple of good choices, uh, the so-called uh, standard Yopon holly. My favorite variety is one called Pride of Houston, and it will grow up 10 or 12 feet tall. It's not fast-growing, but it is very long-lived. It is very drought-tolerant. It has beautiful red berries in the winter. It is totally evergreen. makes a dense hedge. Um, it just it just has no problems. It just, you know, probably puts on a foot of growth a year instead of four feet like some other things do. But um, it, it will be one of your best choices. Um, if you wanted to plant Mount Laurel, if you want to even mix some Mount Laurel in and do more of the standard Yopons, Mount Laurel, of course, is deer tolerant. It'll put on one to two feet of growth a year with a little bit of care. And of course it is native. It is, you know, totally drought tolerant. Once it's established, it is evergreen and it will give you, um, a fair barrier. I have to tell you, if this is something that you want instant growth and you don't want to have to buy super big plants your option would be to put up a simple i'm not even going to call it a fence but a trellis like structure that you could put a fast growing vine on and you could put something like tangerine beauty cross vine on that and uh and you know you have something 10 feet tall the first year um right it just has to have something to grow on there is also um and and this would be perhaps looking longer term but plant your shrubs that are going to be your permanent barrier but i love a plant called the antigonon or queen's crown um it will grow from ground level to 10 feet up uh in about you know six weeks in the spring of the year the problem is it does freeze all the way back it's going to be bare again in the winter months but if you were um looking for something that would give you almost instant color i mean they produces so many flowers you can barely see the plant during the summer months uh you might plant part of it or you might do a trellis in front of a portion of the area we have them growing up a couple of uh, old uh telephone poles that don't have any lines on them or anything more and they literally grow to the top of that 12-foot pole in in a matter of a few weeks every spring uh, it's just that they freeze back so that might in combination with some of the others be a good choice for you okay well thank you so much for your help if you ever buy and uh, have uh you know take a picture of the area you're looking at and we might be able to look at it and give you even other suggestions on there and love to do so thank you so much my pleasure kim thanks for the call Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Bye-bye.